Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with Olivia Coleman and James Barton. I'm joined in the studio by the backbench MP Eric Thornton, who's just tabled a private member's bill calling for a 200% increase in MP's salaries. I know that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Mr Thornton. Oh, golly. <laughs> At a time where other public service workers are having their salary increases strictly limited... I had no idea. How on earth can you justify MPs awarding themselves such a massive pay hike? Well, it's about recruitment. As we all know, the calibre of politician has been declining for many years. At the moment, we've got a House of Commons, half of which, I mean, whom, can barely string, you know, on, the, on their own get to the end of... Uh, I see. <laughs> and the other half are real idiots. And so, in order to stop our best young minds going into science, medicine, law, or, God forbid, the media... Touché. Oh, what have I said? Carry on. In order to get those bright young people interested in looking serious and bossing people around like they were a generation ago, we have to offer the kind of rewards that a company director wouldn't be ashamed to earn five times as much as. But as it is, somebody leaves a former poly with half an NVQ and an AS level in garden administration, fails to get onto any decent management training course, pisses a lot of people off in radio advertising, leaves boots under a cloud, and ends up in the House of Commons because it's somewhere warm and there's parking. <laughs> We need to start overpaying these scum if we're ever going to get rid of them. You're not making any sense. Well, you see the problem. <laughs> Are you saying you deserve twice as much pay? Oh, absolutely not. And that's why it's imperative that I get it before it's too late. The sight of cretins like me getting that sort of money is exactly what might tempt some bright young things to come and wield a bit of power. Or at least bolster the Connect Four team for our annual derby match against the Chelsea pensioners. They always thrash us. What a bunch of useless tossers. I know, but they're very good at Connect Four. <laughs> I meant you. Oh, I see. Well, thank you for proving my point. <laughs> and that was the... Uh, sounded like the Eagles with... Dreamy, dreamy me. <laughs> You're listening to The Late One. And the time... The time is just coming up to... <laughs> Very late indeed. <laughs> I was reminded the other day of something that happened to me when I was seven years old. But that's by the by. <laughs> Got a letter here from Tim Collins in Woking. I'll just read it. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Here's another song. I'll just get it. I'll just put it on. <laughs> Here we are. Sorry about that. It's a total scrum at the bar. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So, you're a web designer. That's right. And who do you design your webs for? Well, um, my boyfriend works for an ad agency and he put me in touch uh, hang with... Hang on, hang on. What? <laughs> my boyfriend works for this... You're, you're doing the boyfriend mention. I'm sorry? The boyfriend mention. You're ostentatiously dropping your boyfriend into the conversation. Well, I, I just thought I'd make it clear. That... Yes, yes, but after I've brought you two drinks. <laughs> what? Come on, you know as well as I do that the boyfriend gets mentioned before the second drink gets bought. I never said I was single. It's your duty to say that you're not single. What, just like that? <laughs> 
No, you find some unsubtle excuse to crowbar them in, just like you did there. Only, crucially, you do it before the second beer. <laughs> Letting me buy the first beer says, you're a man, I'm a woman, and this beer will permit you to talk to me for the next ten minutes. The second beer says, OK, I'm a single woman, I acknowledge that you like me, you have another 15 minutes to try your stuff. Rubbish! I didn't mention the boyfriend because, quite frankly, I'm so far out of your league, I thought we both knew it. So, so what did you think the second beer was? That was a money guilt beer. What? Yeah, a pity beer. We'd already established I'm a creative, you're a lawyer. I'm poor, following the dream, you're rich, you've sold out. So, you buy the beers because you're richer and it gives you a vague feeling you're supporting my courageous crusade. Pity beer? Yes. Pity beer. You're a web designer. You don't get pity beer for being a web designer. Half the people in this room are web designers. I don't suppose it ever occurs to you to buy the beer. Why would I buy beer? I'm poor and pretty. I can live for the rest of my life on pity beer and chat-up beer. I haven't bought a beer since 1995. (laughs) Right, that was lovely, so I'll be off. No, 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 don't go. Let me buy you another one. What, seduction beer? I've told you no way. No, no, not, not seduction beer. Any type of beer. You choose. Okay, I'll have another. Really? Great. Yeah, off you go. Hang on, what beer is this? Escape beer. What? Yeah, you go to the bar and I run away. So, what do I get out of it? Two pints of beer. It's a deal. Next tonight, I'm joined by Tristram Carruthers, known on the street as Honky MC. Tristram, maybe you could tell us a little about your debut track, Total Pants. Yeah, well, really what I was doing was saying, you know, everyone else has spoken their rage through the hip-hop form, and I was just looking to big it up for the white middle classes. Fascinating. Well, let's hear an extract. Trying to write a rap, but I'm having a mare. This rap is pants, and I'm having a mare. I see. Yeah, I... I tried to put the emotion I felt writing the lyrics into the rap itself. You came up against a vocabulary barrier, it would seem. Yeah, the fact is that where I come from, our street slang, well, it's just completely pants. Do you think that reflects something about white middle-class culture in this country? Definitely. Things are such a mare for us right now that the only slang we can come up with is total pants. So creativity is the first to suffer. Exactly. It's a mare. Plus, it just reflects the fact that we're all feeling pretty pants at the moment. Why do you think this is? Well, you know, public services, mayor, education, total mayor. It's all just a bit pants. Do you think we'll ever emerge from this mayor? Not really. For me, the future is a pair of pants suffocating a human face forever. It's an Orwellian mayor. Thank you, the MC. As you huddle in your homes around the wireless tonight, the streets outside seething with drug-fueled hooligans and Hindu extremists, remember that there is one lone romantic warrior poet striving for truth, justice and the price of a cup of tea which you'll spend on cider. Yes, it's the surprising adventures of Sir Digby Caesar Salad. This week's episode, The Mystery of the Disappearing Special Brew, the story so far. Sir Digby and his trusty sidekick, Ginger, awoke early this afternoon to discover that Sir Digby's bachelor pad had been ransacked and looked more like the corner of a garage, which it is. (laughs) Determined to get to the bottom of this fiendish plot, they set out across town, pausing only to bum a fag off a lady. I'm indebted to you, madam. Write to my club for full remuneration. Is that man being sick? Ginger, stop that. Come here and give me a light. (laughs) Sorry, sir, I think it was the glue. (laughs) 
Should we go down the arcade and look for ten peas? Ah, a search for clues. Good thinking. To the slotties! <laughs> no sign of my personal fortune, Ginger. There are greater powers at work than we know. That shop not having any Thunderbird was a bit strange for a start. I did manage to palm this bottle of Bacardi Breezer, sir. I cannot condone theft, Ginger. Although on this occasion you were collecting evidence. Let me examine it. We swapped the opener, sir, for chips. Justice will find a way. <laughs> I'm definitely onto something. Sir, you're bleeding from the mouth. Uh, there's nothing for it, Ginger. We'll have to spend the rest of the afternoon picking up bus tickets, and then we can mug that gypsy woman and sell her bits of Heather for her. <laughs> to the precinct. There'll be a bin with a burger in it, or I'm a Dutchman. How will Sir Digby and Ginger negotiate their way through a city full of enemies? When will Sir Digby's mysterious nemesis stop sending him demanding letters and finally show his hand? Will the Sally Army finally put something in that soup that you can taste? Find out in next week's instalment of the surprising adventures of Sir Digby's Caesar Salad. Oh, and that's a bad miss. What can Ken Doherty do? He can juggle poppadoms. <laughs> can he really? On a general note, Peter, do you think one of the challenges of the modern game is that the lager is that bit fizzier now than it was when, say, the great Ray Reardon was playing? There's been a lot of debate about that, Ted. I noticed that in the Crucible Bar they are serving tenants, which is one of your gassier lagers. It can sit, if you know what I mean. It can. But by the same token, in the old days, the top players, Joe Davis for one, used to drink Gold Label, which went down sweet but was about 8%. They used to say you could run a car off it. That wasn't true, but you could run a lawnmower, sewing machine, or a generator for a mid scale outdoor event. Say my third wedding. Happy days. She only wants money now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Chat Crazy edition of Chat About. And we have some very special guests on today's show. Recent tram crash survivors, Paul Marsh, Sally Jessup and Noel Thompson. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Now, Paul, we're always hearing a lot of negative stuff about crashes. What's the best thing about a tram crash? Well, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there is anything really. There must be something. Well, I, I suppose people's bravery and kindness. So it's an amazing bonding experience which really brings out the best in people. Well, I... Fantastic. Sally, <laughs> you were blinded in the crash. What kind of brilliant positive changes have there been in your life since then? Well, none. Oh, come on, Sally. At least all your other senses have mysteriously improved to almost uncanny levels. No, they haven't. Um, for me, the appalling experiences of the last few months... ...have totally altered your life in amazing ways. Brilliant. Now, Noel, you walked away from the crash almost completely unscathed, almost like you were touched by the hand of God. Well, physically I was OK, but the mental trauma has been pretty It was unbearable. almost like a miracle, though, wasn't it? Uh, wouldn't you say, looking back now, that if you had your time again, you wouldn't change a thing? Well, on the contrary, I've been through hell. I've lost my job, my marriage has come close to it. But when you boil it all down, it's given you a new lease of life, right? No, I wouldn't say that. Well, I would. It, it seems obvious to me that you've all had a new lease of life, and that's great. 
I'm sorry, but I don't see it that way. Neither do I. Look, when are we going to start talking about the tram safety campaign? Oh, sure, sure. Everyone's got something to sell. Well, maybe we can talk about the tram safety when I hear about your new lease of life after the horror crash. Look, I really am finding all this talk about the crash a bit too much. Hey, baby, I'm not the one still milking it. (laughs) Sorry about that. That was a bit noisy. But remember, drivers, tiredness... (laughs) ..kills. Anyway, one for the lorry drivers, maybe. If you're a lorry driver, why don't you get over yourself? (laughs) It's not a romantic job, despite the Yorkie campaign of the early 80s. (laughs) You're basically a cabbie for things instead of people. Of course, my father was a lorry driver. Quite a violent man. So maybe I'm biased. He'd be at home. There would be violence in the house. He'd go away on a job. The violence would subside. I drew a graph of... violence against time and one of my father's presence against time on a piece of tracing paper and laid one over the other. Didn't take me long to realise that it was my father who was very closely linked (laughs) to the violence. Here's the theme to Miami Vice. Correspondent Sports, number 53, Golf. From the desk of Thomas Henry Muller III of Illinois, 12th of April of 1903. Dear Fraser, hope this letter finds you well. In answer to your question of the 18th of March, yes, I would love a game of golf. I propose we toss a coin and see who tees off. Heads or tails, yours sincerely, Thomas Henry Muller. From the desk of Fraser Kilbride. Inverness, 25th of April, 1903. Dear Thomas, heads. Yours sincerely, Fraser. (laughs) Dear Fraser, tails it is. I took the liberty of teeing off and hit a 300-yard drive down the middle of the first. I'm the man. Hope you are well. Kind regards, Thomas. Dear Thomas, let me first congratulate you on your excellent drive. The power you're able to generate astonishes me given your slight frame and prosthetic arm. (laughs) Your tactics, however, leave something to be desired, as the hole in question is a mere 120-yard par 3. Your wonder drive, therefore, places your ball some 180 yards beyond the flag in a neighbouring field, which appears to be the home to a large herd of cattle. I myself played a more conservative eight-iron onto the green. And it is with regret that I must inform you that as I repaired my pitch mark, I saw one of the cattle stamp your ball deep into the boggy mire. (laughs) Good luck with your next shot. With deepest sympathies, Fraser. Dear Fraser, thanks for the pointer. On closer examination, it seems my ball actually lodged in the rear right hoof of the cow in question. Clearly startled, the beast then began to rear and kick its legs in the air, causing the ball to be dislodged and propelling it back onto the green, sadly knocking your Dunlop 65 into a nearby bunker in the process. Sorry about that. I'm Tiger Woods. Yours faithfully, Thomas. Dear Thomas, I wasn't he playing a Dunlop 65, I was playing a Spalding number three. I can see my ball and it's still 
Neil on the green. Fraser. Dear Fraser, you lying Scottish jerk. You're sincerely Thomas. <laughs> Dear Thomas, further to your letter of the 24th May, I throw a right cross which catches you square on the chin, knocking you on your arse. Stitch that, you Yankee git. <laughs> Best wishes, yours as ever, Fraser. Dear Fraser, I am currently attaching my prosthetic punching arm, so prepare yourself for the beating of your miserable porridge-eating life. Yours faithfully, Thomas. From the desk of Elizabeth May Muller, Illinois. Dear Thomas, leave him. He's not worth it. Your ever-loving wife, Elizabeth May. <laughs> Thomas, I'm sending telegram because faster than letter. Stop. I kick your crotch before arm is attached. Stop. Telegram expensive. Stop. But worth it. Stop. Fraser. End of message. Dear Fraser, oof! Yours sincerely, Thomas. <laughs> Hello there. Nothing like a good Sunday pub lunch in the country. Reminds me of my flying days during the Battle of Britain. A pint of bitter and not knowing whether you'll live to see another dawn. <laughs> it's the same sense of mortality I have these days, now that I'm getting on a bit. The Sunday roast, please, and just a half, what with my diabetes. Right you are. And with the over-60 scheme, I've got the peace of mind from knowing that there isn't going to be a problem with those final expenses. <laughs> you know, digging a hole and putting me in it. <laughs> or perhaps burning me. Here you go, sir. Thank you. Yes, for just £50 a month, you too could have that restful feeling that only comes from knowing that you won't be left to rot when you finally expire. <laughs> the scheme is very simple. No salesman will call, which is great if you're the sort of silver-haired old-timer who's living in fear. <laughs> and look, with the over-60 scheme, you get this attractive carriage clock with one of those gold-coloured knobbly bits constantly going round to remind you of time's ceaseless march. <laughs> so start enjoying your retirement today. With the over-60 scheme, you can sit back, relax, and take those 94 different types of pill that you have to have after every meal. Anything else, sir? Yes, a massive glass of water, please. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not really about espionage. It's about the people and how they interact. I mean, you, you can't research a spy drama. It's all secret. That's the one thing that's, well, you know, not secret. Last week on Undercover Secret Spies. Here's the secret document. Shh. But we're in Spy HQ. Yes, but we could still be being spied on. Even here? That is so complicated. <laughs> Here's the microfilm. Shh. Sorry, I keep forgetting. What's on it? All those secret things I spied on. Good work. <laughs> you asked to see me, Control. Shh. This message you intercepted. I can't read it. It's gobbledygook. My God, they must be using code. Code? I'll get the code book. While I'm doing that, a good one is to assume that every letter is a letter up in the alphabet. What? A is B, B is C, and so forth? That blows my mind. <laughs> you can't beat a pint in the pub around the corner from Spy HQ. I just hope I don't leave my briefcase in here like last week. <laughs> You're a professional, Steve. You wouldn't do that that often. Sir, there's a problem. I think my wife knows I'm a spy. How? I don't know. Late nights, too many unexplained buttons on the dashboard. But nothing substantial. <laughs> she hasn't found your spy kit, for example. If she has found my spy kit, she's certainly not letting on. Where do you keep it? Like they taught me at the academy, in the bottom of the wardrobe behind my shoes. Thank God. I know what you're saying. I should kill her anyway. So, you're a rookie spy, new to the world of remembering not to tell people your job at parties. I might be. You're good. 
Now, have you got the newspapers and the scissors? Check. We'll start cutting those eye holes. <laughs> Minister, what do you really think of the government's position on these massive funding cuts? We think they're tough, they're necessary, and they're the right thing to do. Yes, but what do you really think? That's the government's position. That's my position. OK, but what do you really think? That's all I can say. Sure, but what do you really think? That's, that's the position. Obviously, but what do you really think? I, I can only refer you to my earlier answer. Right, but what do you really think? I, I really can't say any more on the matter. Uh-huh. Well, what do you really think? There's no secret agenda here. There's no split between me and my colleagues. Of course. But what do you really think? It's a crock of cobblers, all right? It's all lies. I hate it. I'm against it, all right? Okay, but what do you really think? That, that's what I think. That's it. My career's over. Yes, but what do you really think? Look, it's all futile. We're all nothing but specks of flesh going through this obscene dance of death for nothing. Everything is nothing. Thank you, Minister. <laughs> the lead singer of Tapau, of course. Very attractive lady. Can't remember her name. Probably Susie or something. Wonder what she looks like now. Probably looks like Baroness J. <laughs> That's a good one if you're on the road. Imagining what people look like now. Of course, you might not be driving. You might be... presenting a radio show. <laughs> or you might be... That's about all I can think of. <laughs> Puts me in mind of something my grandfather used to say. Early to bed, early to rise, means you never see anyone else. <laughs> Been reading a bit about Adolf Hitler in his bunker. Rang a few bells. <laughs> Of course, he had a lot to look back on. <laughs> Here's to power again. I like it. What are you reading, Al? Oh, just about how global warming could... Oh, you know what, Al? You hear a lot about global warming, but it's still bloody cold in my flat. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Of course, global warming doesn't just mean that everything will get warmer. Bring on global warming, that's what I say. Right, yes, but as I was saying, things won't necessarily get warmer. When January rolls around, I'll be the first in line for a bit of global warming, I can tell you. Climate change would actually be a more appropriate term, and it's already kicking in. Not in my flat, it hasn't. You obviously haven't been to my flat lately. It's freezing. <laughs> You haven't got a clue what you're talking about. The immediate effects of global warming are increased rainfall and the spread of tropical diseases, not to mention localised disasters like the melting of permafrost in areas of Siberia, which may very well lead to the cracking of oil pipes and untold damage to flora and fauna. Still bloody freezing in my flat. <laughs> Sally Bennett? Oh, you shouldn't put Sally Bennett anymore. She took his name, remember? Did she? Oh, yeah, yeah, she took his name. I was surprised. I thought she'd keep her own name. Right, so that's Sally Vader. Do you, do you think Darth will come? Oh, I hope so. Although, I'm not sure it's really his scene. Well, he came to Mike's birthday bash. 
Yeah, I felt a bit bad, really, because, you know, everyone was smoking, and you know he's a bit wheezy. <laughs> yeah, he had to keep going out on the balcony, didn't he? Must have caught his death. I don't think he really gets cold. Well, I suppose he's wearing all that gear. Yeah. What is that? Is that medical? Or is it just fashion? Sort of goth fashion? Because he's got a very definite style. Hasn't he? Yeah. No, it's, it's medical, apparently. He has to wear that all the time. Oh, bless him. Yeah. So I, I don't suppose he had much option about the look. I mean, I suppose if he had, he'd have gone something a bit more colourful. You know, gingham or whatever. Yeah. What exactly is wrong with him? Well, Sally was telling me he was really badly injured years ago. Really? Yeah, apparently he got into some fight at work and it, it got out of hand, you know. Oh, God. Well, I know he works very hard, because by all accounts, his boss seems like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> what, stay late? Yeah, not just stay late, weekends. Sally was saying she doesn't know the last time he had a holiday. No, but didn't they, didn't they go to Bournemouth a couple of months ago? That was work. Apparently, he's not really a beach person. Well, let's ask him along. Although, will there be dancing? There will be dancing, yeah. Well, perhaps we should say to Sally, by all means bring Darth. We'd love him to come, but there will be dancing, and we don't want him to be uncomfortable. And so if he thinks it isn't going to be his scene, then we won't be at all offended. Although, fair play to him. Remember Bob's Christmas do? Towards the end, he was joining in with the conga. I mean, he didn't look particularly happy, but then, but then how can you tell? It's, it's not a very expressive face, is it? Do you think it's his face? I always imagined it was a mask. Oh, yeah, it, it probably is a mask, isn't it? B because of his illness. Although he's not that ill, he gets around. I believe he plays a bit of Sunday League football. I would have thought he'd get a bit out of breath doing that. I mean, you should hear him at the top of the stairs. Well... He plays in goal, because if you think about it, he's quite a hefty sort of a bloke, so, you know, he really makes himself big, pulls off some quite impressive saves, apparently. Well, I imagine he's quite an intimidating presence in the goal mouth. You know, that machine with a football jersey stretched over it. <laughs> well, he's kept a clean sheet all season. He must have an effect on the strikers, because half the time that they shoot at him, they just completely miss kick, and the ball seems to veer off at a weird angle. It's almost as if Darth only has to stretch his arm out towards the ball, and it gets deflected away. Yeah, and he's got the most incredible electric carving knife I've ever seen. That Mitchell and Webb sound starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, David Quantic, James Barkman and Mark Evans, John Finnamore, and Chris Reddy. And the producer was Gareth Edwards. Mm -hmm.